Hello and welcome uh, to Still Digging, a show where a panel of archaeologists discuss the world of archaeology, presented by the Archaeo RPG Collective. I'm your host, Bill, and the panel will include, hopefully, uh, Ama, uh, Sarah, and Tom. I think Tom's back. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Ama's summer vacation, if she can manage to join the call, Poop Knives, Tom's interactions with Scott Walter, and I will talk about our new show, which will be debuting at the top of this hour, Rituals and Rolls Recaps. So, let's dig in. So while I'm ringing a group, let me go ahead and talk about poop. So, a earlier this week, the Journal of Archaeological Science Reports uh, through Science Direct. Uh, published an article um, by archaeologists and other scientists uh, from Kent State University and the Cleveland Museum of Natural History in Cleveland, Ohio. And it got our attention because... Hello, Tom. Oh. Hi. Hey. Okay, good. Yes. Let me keep going. Okay. All right. So I'm no longer hearing an echo. Great. So the title of this article, which drew our attention, I mean, we are all professional archaeologists, so we're going to be scouring uh, the academic journals all the time anyway to sort of help improve our knowledge. But this particular one each other. Caught, our, caught our eyes. I mean, it's a sharing of information. It's how we grow as a field. This one, though, happened to catch our eye. Um, it was t entitled, Experimental Replication Shows Knives Manufactured from frozen human feces do not work. <laughs> now, you may not understand with the technical jargon there, but they're talking poop knives. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about what thought process had to happen in order to choose to do this experiment? Like, who? the conversation had to go something along the lines of, hey, have you heard this story about Poop knives? Yeah, sounds pretty dumb. We should check it out anyway. <laughs> Can you poop in this bag? Like, <laughs> And where the story comes from is that there's, um, there's an ethnography published in 1998 um, by, uh, by a Davis. I don't have his first name immediately in front of me. And... Um, it's called the Shadows in the Sun, and he is. Uh, it's an ethnographic study of uh, Inuit people um, up in the uh, the Arctic region. And uh, to quote the quote they used here to sort of like this is the apocryphal story which sort of leads to to the whole poop knife. There's a well-known account. To quote, I'm sorry, quoting. Uh, There's a well-known account of an old Inuit man who refused to move into a settlement. Over the objections of his family, he made plans to stay on the ice. To stop him, they took away all his tools. So in the midst of a winter gale, he stepped out of their igloo, defecated, and honed the feces into a frozen blade, which he sharpened with a spray of saliva. With the knife, he killed a dog and used its rib cage as a sled and its hide to harness another dog. He disappeared into the darkness. End quote. 
Um, I there are so many parts of that story. <laughs> You're trying to say the story maybe doesn't smell right? It's it's no, that's it sounds allegorical if it sounds like anything. But it sound like it sounds like um it sounds like <laughs> um like it sounds like a made up story to make the person feel sound foolish. Are you hold on? Well yes, um there that was definitely it's, one it's of the early are you are you uh are you uh, uh familiar with the term codology? No, I am not. Continue so to this elaborate. Is, um it's 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 like shenanigans. It's an Irish colloquialism <laughs> um that um it's basically it it, it, it it's like the art of bluffing. If that makes sense. Yes. Now, to be fair, right? Davis Davis himself in his ethnography accounts for the fact that this mm -hmm. was most likely an apocryphal tale. Um, yeah. And, you know, because this was about a, a woman he was interviewing. It was about her grandfather. And allegedly this, this story took place in the 1950s. So 40, 50 years prior to this interview. Um, so there's definitely that, that if you have all the classic markers. It's someone happened to my family, but they're not here now, and it happened a couple generations ago. It's sort of how a lot of stories begin. Um, but for some reason, it had become sort of a popular, I guess, among certain fans of ethnographies and anthropological undergrads over the past 20 years. Well, sure. Um, like Malinowski journals. Yeah, so... So that's what drew it to the attention of these these folks. Now, I, I have not checked anyone's sort of credentials. Um, I mean, it's it's Polish. Or it's Polish. To be fair, no one it's, is listed uh, as a PhD in in the uh, thing on here. So this these may be undergrads. I just I, I would need to confirm they, that. What's the journal? It's it's uh, published in again. Um. The Journal of Archaeological Science reports. It's it's, huh. it's it's published by Elsevier, E L S E V I E R, and I think I've heard of that before. Wasn't that the one that they were having issues with, like, like there was some sort of corruption issues with site, like aggressive citing on things or something? I am not uh -huh. sure. Or maybe that's something yeah, I mean, else. Yes, but this is the classic. I mean, if we were talking about it, if we want to like venture into the world of how to uh, identify and, and deal with like things like pseudoscience or you know how to read a, an academic journal, um, the first thing you should do is just because it's from an academic journal, don't necessarily take it at face value. Um, you can check to see uh, the credentials of this journal. Is it is it is it a peer review journal? We don't know. Um, we don't know if this article has been peer reviewed. Um, I highly doubt it because the article itself is only a one in a th three quarters page for the total length of this article. Huh. Well, 
I mean, they didn't have a lot of data to go with since none of their poop knives worked. <laughs> but I know what you may be thinking right now. Yeah, yeah, poop knives, apocryphal story. But you're telling me these fools actually tried to make them. How the hell did mm -hmm. they do that? I'm glad you asked, Lucas, because you're the only person I think watching at the moment. But many people <laughs> will be listening to this, and I also mean you, too, that listening in your car. Later. Later. Listeners. <laughs> hey, we get plenty of later listeners. Yeah. <coughs> Future fans. Future fans. Yeah. So, so one of the team, once again, I mean, it's so small, I might as well just go ahead and, and quote from these things, because they, they do a better job than I do. So, once again, this is a quote directly. Don't lie, Lucas. We know you want to know. From the article here. Quote, in order to procure the necessary raw material for knife production, one of us, M-I-E, that's the initials of one of the party, oh, one of the team, went on a diet of high protein and fatty acids, which is consistent with Arctic diets for eight days. And they cite Binford from 2012 and Fugagali from 2015, uh, citing table S1, the supplementary materials. So, continue the quote. The Inuit did not, do not only eat meat from maritime and terrestrial animals, and there were three instances during the eight-day diet that MIE ate fruit, vegetables, or carbohydrates. Raw material collected did not begin until day four, and then proceeded regularly for the next regularly for the next five days. Fecal samples were formed into knives using ceramic molds, knife molds, or molded by hand, hand-shaped knives. Mm. All fecal mm. samples were stored at minus 20 Celsius until the experiment began. Okay, another thing that's got my skeptical eye here on my second reading after I finished giggling, uh, the language they're using. Mm. It's, that's, does not, that's not journal language. <laughs> This, That's, this feels like one this of those is freshman. Ones that they... This is this is this is undergrad. Goofy. Yeah. Paper. Now they may have here's, done. Here's a question. Here's here's a question though, because there were there was a group out there that was like li like actively getting fake articles published to show how some journals' peer review process is very shaky. Right. Now, here, we could, we could start off with this. You could look up whether Shadows in the Sun by a W. Davis travels to landscape... Shadows in the Sun by W. Davis, 1998, Island Press, Washington, D.C. Yep. It is Travels to Landscape of Spirit and Desire. Okay. Um. See, we're doing live science for you here. So, you know, we're doing inspections and peer reviews. And the skeptical eye is now in full focus. For this. So... Well, while Tom does a little more of our background research, I'm going to continue sort of explaining how they went about their test. So they now have poop knives. And so how are they testing these poop knives? 
So what they do is procure some pig hide, some pig muscle, and tendon. Uh, these were also stored at minus 20 degrees until two days before the experiment began, at which they were allowed to begin to thaw up to 4 degrees Celsius. Minutes prior to the experiment, both the knife molds samples and the hand-shaped knives were removed from the laboratory freezer and further sharpened with a metal file. The knives were then buried for several minutes in minus 50 degree dry ice to ensure that they were sufficiently frozen until any attempts at slicing. And if you're wondering about the health about this, the study was approved by the Institutional Biosafety Committee at Kent State University. Kent State, you get a shout out for that. So for anyone from Kent State who's watching or listening to us later, you're following safety protocols and we appreciate that. So any, any new information before I go into the results? Um, so I found it. It's on page 20 of the of the Wade Davis book. Okay. Uh, and it did did it have the the part about um sharpened it sharpened with a spray of saliva? Yes, yes, yes. I threw that in there. Yeah, sharpened with spray uh, saliva with the knife he killed wow. a dog. Yep. Yep. So. Uses ribcage just sudden yeah, okay. So um so this is from a real book. It's, it's from a real book. I just wow. <laughs> just just wow. Okay. That's also now reminding you that cultural anthropologists are the real crazy people. Apologies to all cultural anthropologists watching and listening right now. <laughs> Again, but I cite Melanie. But, but you know it. You know it. <laughs> all right. Enough suspense. Do we want to know if this worked? Well, one, I, I kind of told you when I read the title of the paper. But two, let's find out what happened. So, to continue our story, quote, we began our cutting experiment with the hide, reasoning that if our knives could not cut hide, then subsequent attempts with muscle and tendon would be futile. Neither the knife mold sample nor the hand-shaped knife could cut through the hide. Despite the hide being cold from refrigeration, instead of slicing through the knife, through it, the knife edge simply melted upon contact, leaving a streak. <sighs> A fecal matter. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh. Remember, wow. still digging the classiest archaeology show on the internet. <laughs> Was it like three, four weeks ago we were doing the, the, the entire long pee discussion in the field? The what? Pee. Oh, yeah. Pee in the field, yes. The long? Was that last week? No, 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 no. That was, that was way back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, okay. So here's... Yeah. Here's my thing. So this is special poop uh, created from a diet of high-protein, high-fat matching cultures in, in the north, right? Um, that's got to smell. <laughs> that's got to have an odor to it. And there's no way, get, there's not, there's no getting around that. Well, I mean, the one thing, I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to, you know, one, it was only eight days. I don't know. I don't know if that's enough to sort of alter your internal fl uh, flora and fauna, uh, which may also be another factoring element into it. And two, he wasn't eating seal. 
seal itself may have special little properties that makes them sharp. Yeah, that's right. I was just listening to, um, what was it? The Dirt Podcast. They were talking about seal blood ceramic bowls. And apparent, and they were, they, they got on a little bit of a tangent about the seal blood. And apparently certain times a year, you can actually use it as glue. It's so thick. Yeah. So, which is really impressive. So if you have a diet which consists of that stuff and you're eat, consuming that stuff, what does that do? That's kind of... You know, like, what, yeah, what, what, is, what does seal blood do to your poo? I mean, who's answering these questions? It, it might make it more solid. <laughs> we, we may need to do a follow-up experiment here at Still Digging. <laughs> you, on your own, bud. <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> we, we, we would obviously stream it. <laughs> I don't think we can do that on YouTube. <laughs> it's for science. I mean, sure, but well, why does YouTube gross. hate science? Huh? I think YouTube hates <laughs> most most FCC regulations are kind of. <laughs> all samples are all going to be given by those that. who aren't here. <laughs> it's kind of the yeah. Good luck talking about that. It's kind of kind of the not it. Uh... <laughs> Sure. It's in the sure. Well, I'm I'm not making the knives either. <laughs> the hand shaped ones. All right. That is something. But but wait, we are not done yet. We're not. Because because <laughs> these are scientists here, right? This was a single sure. point. This was a single point of data. These were you right. know you can't just go by single points of data. So once again, to quote. We repeated the experiment using the fecal sample of another team member, MRB, <sighs> whose mm -hmm. diet was mm -hmm. more traditionally Western. The hand-shaped knives were subject to the same procedures and temperatures as the first set of knives. However, these knives okay. did not cut through the hide. For curiosity's sake, we tried to cut the subcutaneous flat on the underside of the hide. With some difficulty, only the shallowest of slices could be produced, and the knife edge still quickly melted and deteriorated. I... Mm. Mm -hmm. Nope. <laughs> I still can't. I still can't get... It's, it's, it's better... Science, they're they're trying different diets. What? But also still real gross. So, in a, in an un, unforeseen segue, or synergy, I should say, putting things together, this paper was presented at the SAA's, the Society of American what? Archaeology Conference, 2019, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Some archaeologists may remember this as being a total shit show. Oh. <laughs> Ironically, there was a paper presented about poop knives. All right. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm reading the acknowledgments, wow. and they're like, yeah, they had they had like four people look at it and an anonymous reviewer. So I'm, I'm guessing this was a student paper. Uh, but still, you know, if this really happened, and they, uh, they, they, you know, this was conceptualized by MIE. Let me identify MIE. 
who provided the first sample. That is, well, I guess if you know, if you're going to lead this thing and, and, and bring up this entire idea together, you got to lead by <laughs> example. I mean, you got to put the yeah. poop in the bag. All right. It's one thing and, to talk and the talk. shape it. It's one thing to talk the talk, Ugh. but you also got to put the oh, poop God. in the bag. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. So these, this we is, could, this, we this, could use this peer reviewed paper. To discuss the peer review process and segue into segment two. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot. It's it's it's, it's sort a of a, sort of stacking up and sort of rising. Oh, it's getting uncomfortable to walk in it right now. Yeah, yeah, it's gross. <laughs> but you know what? We are at least we're archaeologists, so we can definitely tell the difference uh, between the poo and the shinola. What? You never heard of that phrase? Can't tell no. the difference between shit and Shinola? No. Shinola's a type of uh, uh, polis, shoe polis. Popular in the early 20th century. Ah. Oh, yeah. And mind you, this is also... I mean, we should have said this at the very beginning. Uh, this is, you know, not the kind of poop knife most people would be familiar with. I'm sure, you know, either people watching or people watching later or listening. So are like, wait a minute. I remember having a poop knife. I've had a poop knife at camp. My grandma had a poop knife. You know. And this is a classic instrument, improvised instrument, I, I should put it. It's sort of those, you know, secondary uses of material culture that's very important to the archaeological record. Um, say you're in a place where the plumbing isn't so great. And, oh. and say you're on a really good high-fiber diet. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it just ain't going to go down the hole. So that's when you mm -hmm. grab the old poop knife and you cut it up so it can go down the hole. Mm -hmm. I've heard this story a few times from a few different people about the old poop I knife. Have, I have also... I've also heard of this before. It's not usually actually a knife, though. It's like a it could be a stick or, or times, but yeah. still, it's a you know it's a non-intended you know it's it's an improvised use of of, of material, um, right? To to do something like this. So that's also another thing to remember about archaeology. Even when you think you know what it is, when you pulled it out of the ground, that may have not have been what the uh, actual use uh, those people have had for them. Plenty of those types of things. Yeah. Um, you know, glassware being re reframed for cut as a cutting instrument. Um, sure. Um, bullets being used as play toy pieces, game pieces, sure. and things yeah. like that. Um, I'm trying to think of any other good examples Carbol, yeah. off the top of my head of sort of secondary uses. I'm trying to think if I've got anything good. Well, I've I mean, got... a classic modern one would be the Pringle can used as a speaker. You know, you cut the hole in it so you can put your phone in oh, there yeah. and have a speaker yep. comes out. Yeah, that's a classic that case a of, a, of a uh, you know secondary reuse of a uh, material. Yeah. So hmm. it's something humans have always done um, uh -huh. for that. You know, money pendants. Well, yeah, the use of coins is this different types of things. So yeah, hmm. all sorts of cool stuff now. So yeah, we're about halfway through. We burned through two segments, but that's fine. Hmm. So. So now that we've, we've honed our skeptical eye a little bit now, um, and this has nothing to do with poo whatsoever, um, 
recently, Tom and I had some interactions over Twitter with a History Channel 2 Travel Channel celebrity. Um, but I will let Tom sort of carry the story and I'll just fill in where, where I can help. Okay. So, um, if you are, if you follow me on Twitter or, or Bill, uh, we have both on a couple of occasions had interactions with Mr. Scott Walter uh, of um, America Unearthed fame. Or is it Unearthed America, America Unearthed? I think it's America Unearthed. America Unearthed. Um, and uh, uh, he has a pretty uh, uh, and 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 the uh, and Sarah as well actually uh, that they would. Okay. She's been blocked. He has now. a very yeah. She, he has a very um, devoted following. It's probably a good way to put it. His fans are are. Are very, they're very in, uh, entrenched in his theories, uh, and uh, questioning those theories does not win you any points with them, <laughs> uh, as as Sarah uh, uh, found out. And I think I think some of that also is, and I mean it sucks, but it's the truth. Is is probably because she's a woman, and uh, the perception of her as an expert in anything. Is uh, is uh, turned down because of because of misogyny being just rampant in anonymous uh, uh, um, comment sections, essentially. Um, but uh, so um, Mr. Walter and I got into it the first time. Uh, he said some rather question. He made some rather questionable statements. Uh, Regarding the existence slash uh, survival of certain uh, Native American groups in the uh, upper Midwest, um, and uh, we had a long discussion about about um, Vikings and Templars and the Kensington Runestone and a, a number of other related topics. Uh, and uh, Mr. Walter has published several books on, on these topics. Bill just finished reading. What was the name of yours? Uh, Akhenaten. 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 Akhenaten and the Holy uh, Akhenaten the to the Holy Father? Grail. About the Founding Fathers. Um, yeah. It's basically, I mean, so the general thesis that um, Scott uh, Walter uses is that the Kensington Runestone, a stone tablet, uh, presumably found discovered discovered um, in the late nineteenth century, eighteen ninety eight, in Kensington, Minnesota, mm -hmm. um, yep. is a material that contains Swedish ruins. Norwegian, um, Norwegian. Sorry, wrong Scandinavian mm -hmm. country. Norwegian ruins, which happen to, but also include coded language associated with the Templars. Um, and also, additionally, this, this tablet also has a date on it of 1362 or 72? 62 sounds right. I haven't actually looked at the inscription. I want it. I, yeah. So, um, so we had we got into another discussion about this. What was the... I don't even remember what the impetus of it was, but uh, I, I had been asked... He, he did this technical report um on the stone, uh, 
petrography. It's a real thing. Uh, to to analyze or no, what was it petrographic? It's petrography. Petrographic analysis. Petrographic analysis of the inscription to determine the age of the inscription itself. So the actual carved runes on the stones. And um, he did a technical report. It's not actually published anywhere. It is. It is. The results of it are supposed to be published in uh, in the book. It's uh, Kensington Runestone, um, compelling new ev uh, evidence by. Hold on, Scott the, and um, some. Yes, uh, Scott Walter and I want to say Richard Nielsen uh, in two thousand six. Let me pull it up real quick. Um. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Richard Nielsen and, and Scott Walter, and it was published in 2006 uh, by Scott's publishing company, um, the, um, was it, uh, Lake Superior Agate Publishing Company, right. or Inc., something like that. Um, and it it is supposed to be the most comprehensive um, study of the evidence surrounding the stone. Um, I had to explain to Scott that having your colleagues review your paper is not the same as the peer review process. If you're not familiar with the peer review process, um, you submit a paper in a format for a journal. The journal then um, sends that paper to anonymous readers to uh, give comments before publishing the paper. If a consensus can be reached regarding the um, the edition of the paper, it gets published. Um, as, a, as a reminder, and, the, the yeah. poop paper we were just talking about had one anonymous reviewer. So at least that, that even followed a little, yeah. a little bit more of the uh, scientific process. Right. Um, and and in, in, in hard sciences like geology, it's even more serious. Um, and, and Scott actually is a professional geologist. He has a company that has petrographic services and he is a forensic geologist. So a geologist who does offer or is a consultant for invest like insurance investigations and things like that, identifying materials and where and things like that. Um, but uh, there are parts. Uh, <laughs> there are parts of the of the theory that are go with questionable well i think the biggest the biggest problem is uh demonstrating that that petrography which which is basically looking at sort of the microscopic components of of rocks rocks are never really for the most part a single material there's some sort of concretion of multiple materials included the most obvious and easiest one for most people to see are things like sandstone you can see it has sand particles and other particles of other little rocks tiny rocks in it other stones have that too, but they're just a smaller size and maybe not necessarily visible to the naked eye. Uh, so with the photography is that they can sort of look at those materials and it helps with identifications like sourcing. Um, he's did a lot of he's done a lot of material on sort of concrete. Um, so knowing what the full stone materials of a sort of concrete is can maybe give you some good idea in terms of the the stability, especially if you're if you're after a structural right. failure or something like that. You could you could understand, right. you know how it's 
you know, what, what maybe was inside the material that maybe weakened it or strengthened it. Uh, what hasn't been really seen, and I've tried to like do sort of Google Scholar searching on this type of material, or just general scholarship, is the use of this technology, use of this idea for temporal purposes, uh, for the purposes of of of, 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 of telling time. Um, that that is a you know that was where you know I would initially think of, but that's not that wasn't my interaction with him though. I had a different issue with him. Yeah, um, the but the but I mean there there is there is um, there is good science there for relative dating two objects if you have a uh, inscription of the same material with a known date attached to it and then you can compare those two and see if there is more or less wear on it and they are in similar or, you know maybe not identical but at least similar environments um, and extinct, uh, uh, exposed to the same kind of wear. You can then say yes, this is older, or you know, uh, newer or older uh, than the known date or whatever. Um, the one, the one that keeps getting brought up though, or the the the, he keeps saying that the Kensington runestone is not an archaeological question, and then he listed all of the like interdisciplinary things that archaeology does. So it was a linguistic and inscriptions and geology and history and something else and said that's not archaeology which is exactly what archaeology is and this is that that is the thing that i had the most the most issue with and this is not the first time he has said that he's he has claimed that on multiple occasions and one of the big issues that archaeologists tend to have with the with this particular artifact is that there is no surrounding information like there's no there's no corroborating sites nearby there's no there's no evidence of a battle. There's no, which is described in the in the rune inscription. They talk about having uh, losing a couple of uh, of men. Um, there's no camp. There's no there's no material culture at all besides this stone. Uh, and I I want to say multiple at least one survey has been done in the area surrounding the stone in order to identify a camp or or some other evidence that there were. There was Vikings nearby, Norwegian explorers, whatever you want to call them. Um, and, and the the one thing, so I, he, I, I was talking to him for a while about this, and he eventually, I, I agreed to read and review his book, Kensington Runestone: Compelling New Evidence, by by him and, and Nielsen. Uh, and and the one thing that that did jump up because, and this is went to, um. This is the thing that I, I've always had the biggest issue with uh, Mr. Walter's uh, uh, theories is this connection between Templars, Vikings, and the Freemasons. They are all apparently either the same organization or connected organizations or something like that, which may, be get, may get discussed a little better in, in your book. Though. Well, I think he's, he's, he's sort of off the Viking train by this point. Um, he, he sort of says that that's sort of how people early on looked at it because he wants to push it to the 17th century. And by that point, the Vikings don't, there aren't, there are no Vikings. Um, right. but he does not explain how Templars and his theory, these Templars, uh, sail out of the Atlantic ports of France right. to the new world. Um, 
by going by Oak Island and uh, <laughs> by uh, don't even Newport, Rhode Island before going oh, back gosh. through the Great Lakes to make their way across to Minnesota without leaving, the Rhode Island one without leaving any cultural material. But yeah, these are the French. Um, now, and then, at least in the book I read, um, this is straight up Holy Blood, Holy Grail, Da Vinci Code. Yeah. Um, yeah. That the Templars I, were, 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 had the, the Holy Grail and the, Hark, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Because um, I, oh, I also watched the 2009 movie Holy Grail in, in, in America, which Scott was very prominent uh, port of, which, which is also this whole, <sighs> continues his whole Kensington Runestone theory. Um, that okay. I, I do have a quick correction for me. Okay. Uh, it, you were right; it was Sweden. Okay. Because um, I went to go find how he connects the Templars to the Vikings. Um, apparently, there are signs on. So this is this is a quote from the book. Also found signs on the Kensington runestone that we thought were the unmistakable mark of the medieval order of Teutonic knights. This is the introduction, so they don't actually provide evidence at this point. Uh, Teutonic Knights, an order active in the Baltic Sea and Go uh, Gotland, Gotland, Sweden. So, Sweden. Uh, uh, from its sanction by the Pope in uh, 1199 and 1525 when the order became secular. The Knights Templar, also uh, known as the Brethren of the Sword, which I, I'm, I'm not I'm not a Crusades scholar, so I don't I don't know enough about this. Um, amalg uh, amalgamated with the Teutonic Knights in the Baltic in 1237 after horrendous losses in battle. So uh, I am I am very much looking forward to the evidence they have to uh, corroborate that. Well, I can tell you by the mashup. next by the next book. Well, no, I'm three books later because the Hook Dex is the mm -hmm. next book. Then I'm the book after that. Yeah, by the time it gets mm -hmm. to my book, that, that's not mentioned at all. Weird, because he's really all about the Templars being oh, no, also Templars, Freemasons. The, no, the Templars and the Freemasons is there. The <clears throat> okay, so the Vikings. The Vikings and Teutonics have sailed off. They're gone. Okay. Well, it's also a different time period. Because, you know, you would have had scholars. But you would have had learned scholars. This is where he brings in the monks. The Cistinarian monks. Or Cistinarian monks. Those are his his way out because these he brought scholars and these are scholars who would have known older languages and, and such. So that's how you see. There's always an answer, and that's the thing about uh, pseudo anything. Uh, there's always an answer. Things can't be falsified uh, conveniently. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. science uh... we can we can find we, it can be falsified. We can say, oh, uh, what we thought uh, isn't true. So, okay, yep. we're on to the next thing now. But somehow yep, let's, in let's pseudo, the new line of it. there's always a new reason. There's always, yep. you present it with information, there's always a reason why that happened. So I am, I, uh, so I am, I'm going to read this book and at, at some point I will, I will write something up either on a blog post or something yeah, uh, so at some to point review the book. Gonna, at some point we're going to have to have a major, like, Templars in America discussion and I don't know if that's going to be like on here or maybe over on Sarah's channel, Archie Fantasies, uh, which is maybe more appropriate home for things like that since 
uh, go over to Archie Fantasies if you want to see uh, me and Sarah watching uh, episodes of America Unearthed and reacting to them uh, live. Uh, yeah. We've got a few episodes of those in the book, so pretty good. So we can we can all keep the backpack count. <laughs> the backpack count is very um, important. So let's go it's, ahead. It's riveting. It yeah. really is. So let's go ahead now, and we're going to sort of wrap up the first hour now. I see it's ten till, but I got a few minutes of stuff to talk about. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and with that, it's sort of introducing what we're going to be doing at the top of the hour. Uh, we're introducing our new show, Rituals and Rolls Recap. If you're sort of have been following us for a while, you'll notice we keep using this term, Rituals and Rolls. And so far, it's been mostly where we play video games. Uh, but back in July, if you remembered, if you were there. Uh, for our Session Zero, which is the podcast should be out sometime shortly after we record this, a few days or so after we record this, but it's available on video on demand right here on the RQRPG YouTube channel. Um, we had our Session Zero of our actual play tabletop role-playing campaign, where we discussed sort of the, uh, the ideas behind it, some of the characters uh, that you're going to be introduced, and how tabletop role-playing game and the world of archaeology uh, are kind of going to blend in together. And we'll go much more into that on the other side of the hour. But this show, the purpose of this show, is going to be, while we're playing the game, we are going to try to, as best as possible to stay within the game. We're not going to metagame, we're not going to lecture on archaeological theory or anything on that. So there's good chances we're going to breeze by things that may be uh, important uh, or, or anything uh, on that. So with that in mind, this is the purpose of this show. It's one, it's a good way to sort of get a recap episode. But two, it gives us an opportunity to sort of break down those ideas that we discussed. Whether it's, you know, colonialism, how to set up a survey, um, you know things like that. How how do we how do we identify artifacts? How do we identify a site? What how much material do we need for a site? Um, how do we interact with you know flora and fauna when we're going on an expedition? Um, how do we how do we you know gear up uh, for an expedition? Like what what tools and materials uh, are we going to need when we're going to be away from home for a long period of time and maybe away from home where we're not going to be near like hotels and things like that. Those are all real questions that we as archaeologists have to answer. Um, so the game will give us, a, within this game world, we'll get to sort of play with that. And so we can kind of show through gameplay what a, an archaeologist's life looks like. But additionally, Dungeons & Dragons sort of plays along with a lot of archaeological tropes, like a lot of popular culture. And we're going to sort of examine those as well. Um, you know, the hunt for treasure and all that kind of good stuff uh, for that. And so it's going to be a back and forth. And so that's, that's sort of going to be the purpose of this. And so we'll definitely be doing that much more uh, on top of the hour uh, on that. So hope you guys stick around. Um, mm -hmm. Now, for, for people in the podcast world, this is going to be different. It's going to be a separate podcast on your feed. So look for a different podcast. It'll be called Rituals and Roles Recap. Uh, so this podcast will actually be in, ending for you in the next few minutes. And then there'll be another podcast sitting in your feed, hopefully, 
uh, called Rituals and Rules Recap. Listen to that for that there. So that way then these shows also get to sort of keep their own voice. Um, you know, that's what Rituals and Rules Recap is going to be. But more importantly, as you sort of saw today, uh, with Still Digging, once we got past technical difficulties, um, <laughs> this show now is going to be an archaeology show. Uh, we are laser focused on the world of archaeology. But that's a huge, broad world because basically if a human interacts with a thing, an archaeologist will be there 50 years later. Uh, so, or sooner sometimes. Or sooner sometimes. Uh, so that's, you know, that's going to be our, our thing for that. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be much more focused. We're going to try to do a few more segments. If we had all, all four of us here, we probably would have had four segments today. Everyone's sort of getting a chance to sort of get their piece in. Um, but with only two of us here, we just, you know, we pick two big themes and then sort of the, hey, we're doing something different at the top of the hour uh, on top of that. So, so Tom, anything you want to add? Um, I, I do actually, I want to thank Scott for being a good sport about letting me review his book and sending me a copy of that. Um, and I am actually really looking forward to this Rituals and Rolls recap. Recap. Episode zero, zero, the precap. Right. Because it's not going to be, yes, yes. The recap is not a recap because we haven't had a cap to re. Yes. Um, It's just a cap. Right. So we're going to take about a five-minute break at the top of the hour, 9 o'clock Eastern. Uh, We'll be back on here. Gives us a chance to uh, redo the set. It'll be a whole different setup. You'll be... Yeah, it's like magic. I don't even know. Maybe Ama will actually be able to join us. Hopefully, oh. that's the other thing we can do with this, is see if Ama can join us, see if maybe Sarah's made it home. She's getting ready for a very long field project. Um, so she's she's got some preparations to do. So, um, so yeah, so we'll be at the top of the hour. So thank you all for joining us. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can contact us at ArcheoRPG on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Our email address is ArcheoRPG at gmail.com. If you wish to support our show, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com slash ArcheoRPG. Also, please like, share, and subscribe to help spread the word. And once again, thank you, and keep digging.